Welcome to Deep Dive from the Japan Times. I'm Sean McKenna. Living in Tokyo, I'm occasionally woken up in the morning by the sounds of crows, particularly on garbage day. These aren't your typical North American crows either. These ones have deep guttural caws. Crows are pretty much the only animal that I've found I need to worry about living in the city. But this year, it seems like us city dwellers have been having to worry about other animals, like tanuki or raccoon dogs, boars, and even, on the odd occasion, a bear. My colleague Alex KT Martin has just written about this uptick in animal incursions for the Japan Times climate section, and he'll join us to explain what's going on, whether we should be concerned, and whether this is going to continue to get worse next year. Hey Alex, last month you went out to Chiba, which is pretty close to Tokyo, to report on a boar chase in the center of the city. Can you tell us what happened? Sure. So Chiba City is the capital of Chiba Prefecture, which is right next to Tokyo. It sits about 40 kilometers east of central Tokyo, and uh, the prefecture itself is known for uh, Disneyland, uh, good surfing around the southern coastline, and in recent months, an increase in sightings of wild boar. Hmm. The city itself, the capital, is home to almost one million people. Its central Chuo ward is where Chiba Station is located, and it's a bustling transportation hub surrounded by department stores and commercial high-rises. It was about 600 meters east of the station that at 12.14 a.m. on October 25th, the first report came in of a large boar roaming the area. This is where Dave should add a sound effect of a boar so we all know what they sound like. Okay, keep going. So, more and more eyewitness accounts come in. October 25th was a Wednesday, but there were still quite a lot of people out at that time at night. The boar is spotted near a 7-Eleven convenience store before heading to a junior high school across the street. I spoke to the clerk at this particular 7-Eleven, and she said it was the first time she'd heard of a inoshishi in these parts. Inoshishi is the Japanese word for boar. So the Inoshishi wanders down to the area of Dezu Wharf, which uh, sits on Tokyo Bay, and uh, on the way it injures a man in his 30s inside the grounds of his apartment complex. It also uh, manages to ram into a taxi before escaping, so it's wounded by this point, and it's now leaving a trail of blood that residents in the area noticed. Later we find out that the animal's a female and weighs about 42 kilograms. She winds up going for a swim off one of the piers in Chuo Ward uh, before having this final standoff with a group of around uh, 20 or so police officers at around 9 a.m. And they're all holding catch poles and batons, and the animal actually puts up a pretty good fight. She rushes at the police officers, bites them and shoves them around before being subdued by a net. What happened to it? So, typically, boar and any other uh, large wild animals captured in a populated area uh, needs to be killed and buried by uh, professionals. So, in the case of this Chiba boar, it was killed by a local hunting association and buried outside of the city center. This boar chase is far from what you'd call an isolated incident, isn't that correct? Exactly. Uh, In recent years, Japan actually has been seeing an alarming increase in boar, deer, macaques, and this year, even bears making their way into human-populated areas. Deer, macaques, and bears. Oh, my. Yeah, it's happening so much that uh, there's this term called abambea has been created to describe the phenomenon. 
And that is a Japanese pronunciation for the term urban bear. Oh, that sounds like something else. The urban bear actually made it to the list of nominees for the year's top buzzwords, right? Right, it did, uh, along with OSO18, which is the code name for a bear in Hokkaido that uh, attacked 66 cows. Oh, gosh. Why are we getting this sudden influx of urban bears and urban boars and urban anything else? So there are several phenomena coming together to push these animals out of their natural forested habitat. And by the way, two-thirds of Japan's landmass is forested, so that's a lot of area just to begin with. Mm. Um, a few of these factors have been environmental. Uh, Japan's having warmer winters than usual. Actually, last week we saw the warmest November day in a century. It got up to around 27 degrees Celsius uh, in some parts of Japan, and that's around 80 degrees Fahrenheit. And on top of that, uh, there has been a severe shortage of acorns and beech nuts this fall, specifically up north in the Tohoku region. And bears in particular at this time of year are trying to eat up before they go into hibernation. And the warmer weather and lack of food means they haven't started hibernating yet, so they're pushing into towns and cities to look for food. So when most people go hiking in Japan, they tend to read up on what to do if they encounter a bear. But I'm guessing people in the cities haven't been as prepared. Right, but they're learning now, though. It's important to stress that bears aren't evil obviously, or anything. Uh, they're just looking for food, and uh, mother bears will be really protective of their cubs. Mm. So in Akita Prefecture, in uh, particular, up in the north of Japan, there have been incidents involving older people, as well as junior high school students who have been uh, ambushed by bears. It was one day just before the whole boar story that I just described earlier, when six people were attacked over the course of a day in uh, Kita Akita. And between April and uh, November 8th this year, there were a total of 58 incidents involving 66 people uh, who were harmed by bears in Akita, uh, which is up tenfold from last year. So how is Akita dealing with these bears? They've launched an information campaign, and the governor of the prefecture uh, said he plans to introduce a bounty on the bears and maybe subsidize the cost of bullets for hunters. Hunters in the region have killed a, a record number of bears this year so far, but an issue with the Japanese hunters that I think we've discussed before on this podcast is that they are aging like the rest of the nation, and uh, recruiting younger hunters isn't easy. There are also strict rules when it comes to owning guns in Japan, and as a result, Akita's Prefectural Hunting Association, for example, uh, counted 1,473 members, and 40% of them were 70 or older. Hmm. And this isn't just a northern problem. As you know, Japan's mountain ranges go right down the center of the country. So we're hearing about bear sightings in urban centers in Fukushima, Niigata, Nagano, Guma, Toyama, and elsewhere, too. It's interesting. You mentioned Fukushima there, and you were actually on this podcast not too long ago talking about the sharp increase in wild animals moving into those abandoned towns that were evacuated in the wake of the 2011 nuclear meltdown there. Right. In fact, just to take a moment to give you some praise... You won a prize for a piece on the rewilding of Fukushima from the World Association of News Publishers, so congratulations on that one. I think what I remember you saying about that issue when we spoke about it, though, was how you thought Fukushima was more like a canary in the coal mine when it came to animals encroaching on human-populated areas. Like, Fukushima's situation was kind of like fast-forwarded because people had moved out. Exactly. Um, and I was talking to uh, Professor Yamazaki, who's um, Japan's foremost expert on uh, the Asian black bear. And I also interviewed him for the Fukushima piece as well. And he mentioned that, you know, basically the situation in Fukushima is actually happening all over Japan now. Okay. Which brings us to the other element of the urban bear phenomenon. 
Um, so while climate change plays a factor in all of this, obviously, another big thing is Japan's own demographic changes, specifically the graying society and the depopulation of rural towns and villages. Let's talk about that more after the break. Hi, I'm Dave Cortez, producer of the Deep Dive from Japan Times podcast and avid camper. Have you ever been out in the woods, enjoying the beauty of Japan's nature, and thought, am I about to be attacked by a bear? I know I have. Bear and boar encounters have been on the rise as of late for a number of reasons, but here's what the authorities in Akita Prefecture suggest when you head out into the woods. First, pay attention to signage and don't venture into prohibited areas. Try to avoid hiking alone and be sure to take your trash back home with you. Don't even leave a banana peel or anything behind. Take it all with you. And carry bear repellent. Some people go with bells, but it's important to note that experts aren't in agreement as to whether those bells work or not, or if they actually attract bears. So if you're going to an area with wild animals, it's better to take some bear repellent. Now what if you actually encounter a bear while in the woods? Or the way things are going these days, out in your neighborhood? Well, if a bear is approaching you, slowly back away and quietly leave the area. Do not run with your back to the bear. If you're attacked and you don't have repellent spray, then adopt a defensive posture and protect your face, neck, and stomach to prevent a fatal wound. Finally, it's important to remember that bears and boars aren't our enemies. They're just looking for food. If you plan on traveling off the beaten path, make sure you read up on safety measures beforehand, and I'm sure you'll have a great time. Now back to the show. So Alex, before our little PSA on bears, um, you'd brought up depopulation, and it's not the first time you've brought up depopulation on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I think last time you were on Deep Dive, in fact, uh, it was for an episode on how depopulation is affecting food supplies in Japan. Yeah, well, I think the aging population of Japan, uh, which is obviously leading to depopulation as more people die off, that's going to affect a lot of the ways things are done in this country. We often focus on uh, what it will do to the uh, pension system, for example, and whether mm -hmm. the social security system will be sustainable and stuff like that. But uh, abandoned villages, downsized dinners, these are all the after effects of a country with less people. And it's a slow change, but it will change the country for sure. Hmm. And in this case, uh, let me set up a situation. Have you seen the uh, Studio Ghibli film Pompoko? <laughs> I have, but tell us what it's about. Well, it's a 1994 film about a community of shape-shifting tanuki, magical tanuki, that are uh, fighting to stop this massive suburban development uh, project in western Tokyo, which is encroaching on their forest domain. And this was something that happened a lot during the post-war economic boom era. And uh, Pompoko kind of sums up the thinking at the time, this urban sprawl needs to stop. And during the boom time, you'd see what were known as bald mountains, hageyama, they call it. And that was the result of raising forests for the country's woodstocks to build housing and cities and for energy needs. So Japan tried to correct this by regrowing the forests and uh, helping the animal population to recover, which we've talked about on this podcast before. Mm -hmm. And in between the forested mountains and the urban centers is the area that in Japanese is called Satoyama. Uh, Sato can be roughly translated as village, perhaps, and Yama is uh, mountain. And here you have that kind of a border zone. Between humans and the magical tanuki? Yeah, though I can't confirm the magical tanuki part. I can <laughs> confirm it as the uh, habitat of Japanese wildlife. Satoyama is essentially a neutral zone held together by agriculture, secondary forests, reservoirs, and channels, and uh, things like that. 
What are secondary forests? Regenerated forests, uh, places that uh, we've rebuilt after using them for resources. Ah, okay. So the villages and communities in these Satoyama areas are typically older and uh, working in agriculture and such. Uh, they've essentially acted as the first line of defense against the encroachment of uh, wildlife. As uh, wild animals approach these areas, they'd notice the trees thinning out and uh, well-maintained farmland, for example. And it was less easy for them to hide. And this made them more alert to the fact that they were entering human-populated areas. However, as the people that lived there grew older or, you know, left the community entirely, um, you know, there's, there weren't enough people to, you know, prune the trees, for example, or mm-hmm. clear the weeds. And at the same time, there's been a, a drop in the number of forestry workers. There were uh, 146,000 in 1980, um, and that's down to uh, 44,000 in 2020. Right. Okay. So kind of the first line of defense has been taken over by animals who feel much more comfortable looking for food there. Um, can we put up fences? Yeah, it helps. And there are fences all over Japan uh, surrounding, you know, farmland from uh, wild boar and deer Mm. and whatnot. Um, However, I spoke to Chihiro Kase, who is a lecturer on animal uh, behavior at Azabi University. And she said that bears uh, in particular, for example, can climb, you know, trees and uh, get over fences to get to any food. So bears are actually trespassing into orchards in Kanagawa Prefecture, for example, and likely uh, many other places across the nation. And once the animals get a taste for the food, then they keep wanting to come back. And from the orchards, they make their way into the more populated areas through patches of greenery. This can be parks, paths, gardens, uh, riverbanks, for example, anything with some kind of vegetation that offers shelter. And it's this kind of green path that led that boar in Chiba that we talked about out of the city's countryside and into the city's central commercial district. Right. Interesting. Okay. Earlier, we said that um, part of this uh, animal invasion, and again, we're not trying to say the animals are evil or anything, but they can be dangerous in certain situations, Um, but they are looking for food. Um, So winter is coming later and the climate is changing. So that seems to be messing with typical growth cycles. But is there a chance that there is a better food yield next year and maybe that this problem kind of just goes away? Definitely. Um, That's very much a possibility. Yields of acorns and uh, beech nuts, for example, they fluctuate quite a lot. So, you know, there is a chance that next year we'll see plenty of yields to satisfy the bears, for example. But that doesn't mean the phenomenon of wild animals like boar, deer, and macaques uh, making it into human communities will go away. I mean, a lot of these animals have gradually been learning that they can get food in our communities. Mm. So unless some, you know, serious zoning measures or other countermeasures are put in place, the trend will likely stay and likely exacerbate as Japan's population shrinks. You know, speaking of animals, um, another story you worked on last month was about the Pacific Salary, uh, cleverly titled A Salary State, How the Price of Autumn's Fish Skyrocketed. And this is a piece about numbers. So both in the fact that a really cheap fish has been seeing its price go up, while the numbers of salary or sanma, as it's called in Japan, have gone down. Right. I visited a festival in Tokyo called the uh, Meguro Sanma Festival last month. Yeah, so we're at the uh, Meguro Sama Festival. I hear it's the uh, 26th occasion, so it's in its uh, 26th year. This year, uh, they were able to get their fish from Kesennuma, which is one of the towns uh, made famous after the tsunami of 2011. Yeah, the guy was talking to uh, Mr. Sasaki from Kesennuma. He said that, you know, back in Kesennuma, like 50 years ago, Sama was called Nekomatagi, because uh, even the cats would just walk past it without, you know, showing interest in eating it, because it was such a common fish. But now you go to a supermarket in Tokyo, and they're selling, like, two for, like, 400 yen. This festival used to give Sama away for free to visitors. 
to around uh, 5,000 visitors each year. But this year, because of you know dwindling stocks, um, you can only take part if you win a lottery. We haven't gotten to eat the sama yet because uh, you need tickets. You need to be a Megudo Ward citizen to actually uh, get a sama. So perhaps we'll be lucky and uh, we'll get some fish before we go back. But uh, yeah, it's, it's very interesting. I grew up in Tokyo, but I don't think I've really ever had sama on a, on a frequent basis. Uh, my, at least my mom didn't sort of uh, cook sama that frequently. But I knew that you know it's a it's a fall dish, and if once once autumn comes, you know it's the season for sama, and uh, we're feeling it right now. Um, it's, it's in the air, it's in the smoke. I've noticed the price go up at my local supermarket. Actually, but in Taito Ward, we saw it selling for three for four hundred ninety eight yen. And in Bunkyo Ward, it was up to 594 yen for three. And our photographer snapped a picture of three sama for 750 yen at a Kawasaki supermarket. Yeah, I'm sort of curious, you know, what the prices are now because uh, these were, you know... October prices. Right. So maybe they've recovered somewhat. But anyway, so according to the fisheries agency, the average wholesale price of sama at uh, major fishing ports in Japan was 70 yen per kilogram in 2006. But that's increased ninefold to uh, 627 yen per kilogram by 2021. So it's a you know huge increase. Right. Overall, it's a it's a price up. There's, there's an obvious trend there, right? Mm. And I think what's important here is that you know where sama are being caught plays a pretty big factor. Before we get into that, um, for people who don't know what sama or sauri are off the top of their heads, the fish is usually blue on the top, the dorsal surface, and it's silver on its belly. It's about 25 to 30 centimeters long. It's similar to saba or mackerel. And one website, the Sushi Geek, describes it as a dialed down version of saba. So people who don't like strong fish tastes may be okay with it. Usually it's grilled, but I happen to like it when it is prepared as sushi. And Sushi Geek also says because it's so fatty, it's best to serve it extremely fresh. And in Japan, it will often come with finely grated ginger or scallions when it's served raw. So Alex, now that we know what it tastes like, why don't you tell us a little bit more about how it's actually procured? Um, the fish has a pretty short lifespan of two years, and it starts its life along the warm Kuroshio current uh, before migrating north to their feeding grounds. And after August, they begin their southward migration along the cold Oyashio current to their spawning grounds. And Japanese fishers would catch them along the northeast coast of Hokkaido and Tohoku-san Niku region. Um, but in recent years, the fish has strayed farther away from the coast, and uh, this is the important part, into international waters. So now Japan is competing with countries like China and Russia for catches. What caused this change in behavior? It's thought to be rising surface uh, water temperatures and changes in the ocean currents. The Oyashio current, according to a fisheries expert I spoke to, has been uh, weakening, apparently, due to these warm water masses that's forming off the coast of Hokkaido. Right, this is the one that comes down from the north. That's correct. Yeah. And that seemingly triggered competition among fish uh, for plankton and has forced the sama to migrate to high sea fishing grounds. And there's less food there, and thus the population is shrinking and it's affecting maturation. It always comes back to depopulation with you, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, in, even with fish. Um, so, you know, I asked the, uh, the fisheries expert if he thought this trend would continue. And, you know, since sama is such a symbol of autumn in Japan, and I do go into its cultural significance in the piece, uh, but the expert said he wasn't able to give a definitive answer. All he could say was, you know, that while the catches this year were slightly better compared to last year, um, overall we've been hovering near record lows. Well, anyone listening can check that story and the rest of Alex's award-winning journalism at japantimes.co.jp. Alex, thanks for coming back to Deep Dive. Thanks, Sean. 
My thanks again to Alex for coming on the show. I'll put links to the stories we mentioned in the show notes. They're worth checking out. And of course, we appreciate the fact that so many of you will listen to the podcast and then check out the stories. So thank you for that. Elsewhere in the Japan Times, visitors to Japan exceeded pre-pandemic levels in October, according to the Japan National Tourism Organization. This is the first time that's happened since the relaxation of border controls put in place because of the pandemic. The number of foreign visitors for business and leisure rose to 2.52 million last month. And some of those visitors may have tried checking out Samurai Restaurant Time. Contributing writer Laura Palachos checked that place out for our food section. It's done by the same people behind the very popular robot restaurant that closed down during the pandemic. So is all the kitschy, borderline, problematic entertainment worth the price of admission? You can read about it at our website, japantimes.co.jp. This past week, Japan announced it was planning to do away with a requirement that drugs developed overseas be tested on Japanese individuals before they can be made available in the domestic market. This policy came under criticism during the pandemic when COVID-19 vaccines developed overseas were required to undergo additional testing before they could be offered in Japan. Getting rid of this requirement is expected to get medicines into the country in a shorter period of time. According to the Office of Pharmaceutical Industry Research, 72% of new drugs approved in Europe and the United States have yet to receive approval in Japan. Another final piece I wanted to point out comes courtesy of Tomohiro Osaki from AFP. He wrote about a report from Human Rights Watch that heavily criticizes Japan's treatment of women prisoners. Some of the abuses suffered by women included being handcuffed during labor and immediately after giving birth, being separated from their newborn babies, and insufficient care for elderly inmates. Deep Dive from the Japan Times is produced by Dave Cortez. Our outgoing music is by Oscar Boyd, and our theme music is by the musician 4L. I'm Sean McKenna. Potsukare-sama.